Today on Ag News Daily. We focus on developing products that help uh, help crops thrive in the face of environmental stresses. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp, and I am joined with Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm good, Madison. I'm not going to lie. It started snowing this morning in the Des Moines area, and I thought, nope, don't even want to go outside today. Yeah, I know. It started snowing up here in Ames right before my agronomy class, before I had to leave for my agronomy Mm -hmm. class, and it took all of my willpower to actually go. Yeah, I know. I remember those days when you're like, yeah, I kind of could sleep in. Nobody's going to hold me accountable. Yeah. I remember those days for sure. The only issue is she takes attendance. Oh, yeah. That was and that's a, a homework grade. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so. you better go in that case then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to give a quick shout out here. Folks, I know we've got a lot of good podcasts on the Global Ag Network. We've got a new one that just launched here the other day, Agnes Answers. And we've chatted with Agnes before on the podcast, but it's basically an Ask the Ask. Ask the Expert styled podcast. She just launched her first episode, so make sure and head to globalagnetwork.com slash Agnes Answers and listen to that first episode. We're interested to hear what you guys think of it. Yeah, I saw that on the website and I was kind of excited to start listening. Yeah, I think it'll be a good podcast. That's good. And Delaney, what do you have for news today? Yeah, you know, it's a slower news day as you and I kind of both talked about Mm -hmm. here, but... I know that the EU's Trade Commissioner, Cecilia Malmstrom, has been in Washington, D.C. this week. She was at a a Georgetown Law School earlier today and, again, continued to emphasize that she does not want to include agriculture in an initial deal here. She wants to really focus on industrial goods that that could be achieved more quickly and could rebuild trust between the two largest trading blocks. She said the trust has really been eroded by the U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum. And if we start with industrial goods, she said it could be a lot less complicated and more beneficial for both sides. Of course, we know the EU and the United States tried to spend a couple of years negotiating the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or the TTIP, but failed to get that through. She said, you know, really, if we work on it from an industrial goods perspective, a manufacturing perspective, I think then we can come back to the table and work on agriculture long term. She said she's not saying no to agriculture. She's just saying no to it right now. So I know there were a lot of issues with um, with things like wine and cheese, especially when you look at those genetically modified things, as well as the Uh, the GIs or the geographical indicators. I know that was a point of contention for the TTIP agreements. So I think that's part of the reason she really wants to leave ag out right now is it's a lot more complicated and it's just something that she wants to hold off on um, until down the road. So it's going to be interesting, of course, to see how those trade talks progress with agriculture, maybe or maybe not on the table. Yeah, I did see um, some articles about that yesterday and today actually and I just kind of I thought it was interesting about how like views of agriculture are so different Mm so maybe we can see that in the future maybe not but at least we are trying to trade 
come to some sort of trade deal. Yeah, we're absolutely trying to, at least on the EU trade front, on the Chinese mm -hmm. trade front. Looks like we're still having some discussions. Reuters reported earlier this week that trade negotiations are still ongoing between the United States and China via video conference calling. And Ted McKinney, the Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Services, said on a press call that the talks are going well and there's a lot of discussions going on via digital video conferencing. So I think that's interesting that we're seeing, you know, this administration use some of the technology that we definitely wouldn't have had access to even probably 10 years ago. Yeah, it's crazy seeing how different technology is because you know, 10 years ago, they probably would have had to fly one place mm -hmm. or another, meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe chat on the phone, you yeah. know, landline or whatever. But exactly. yeah, video conferencing wouldn't have been a deal back then. So sounds like that dialogue is remaining open. Uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said he's perfectly satisfied that, or I'm sorry, Grassley told reporters that he's perfectly satisfied that U.S. Representative Bob Lighthizer isn't giving up until he gets this one, but it's still under negotiation. So it seems like we're at kind of at a standstill with that. Yeah, almost. that's a good way to put that. I would it's say that's just, right. Nobody wants to say yes, but nobody wants to say no. Right. And we're still waiting to see if we have a meeting at the end of March here. If we don't, hard to say. A standstill is a great way to describe that. I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Uh, Still kind of a waiting game, too. Yes, absolutely. Well, to kind of go along with China, well, um, with the African swine flu, I know you kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast, but the U.S. is strengthening their borders with kind of the pork coming into the country and add more kind of teams of beagles um, to the borders to sniff out those products coming into the U.S. through the ports, um, and they're actually adding 60 Beagle teams um, across seaports and airports. Mm -hmm. I think it's cute. I saw a picture of one of them sitting in a suitcase that had found pork. <laughs> I saw that. I think it was on Twitter, maybe. Yeah, it might have been. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I saw that, too, but I just thought that was cute that they're using Beagles, but they are used because they... Um, have a very keen sense of smell, but they're also gentle. So they're not... Oh, yeah. Maybe so not they intimidating to people. Yes. Yes, exactly. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it like that. Well, in other news related to the meat industry, um, it looks like we're seeing some moves here in relationship to cell-cultured or cultured meat. We saw the Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration have completed an agreement to share that regulatory jurisdiction over cell-based food products, uh, but the language still needs to be implemented before the goods can be sold. In an announcement just today on Thursday, they outlined an approach similar to that uh, outline that was shared back in November that led to this finalized agreement, which is essentially FDA will oversee cell collection and growth, and USDA's FSIS, or Food Safety and Inspection Service, will take over the process when it switches to harvesting and labeling. So this announcement kind of closes one chapter of the debate about how it's going to be treated. Um, so it looks like cell-based products are, or the, the culture to the cell-based products 
uh, and the meat grown from animal cells rather than having them go through the traditional harvesting process. But uh, now they're just in that period of really trying to iron out the new languages uh, for the agreement, the release of a formal agreement now essentially leaves them to finalize those particulars. I don't think that they re released a specific timeline, um, but that's something that they are working here. I know a lot of the cell-based meat companies like Memphis Meats have been pushing them to give some sort of regulation, regulation so that they can have their product roll out to the market. So another kind of piece in the piece of the pie here has been sorted out for cell cultured meats, it looks like. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out too, because I still think it's different. Yeah, it <laughs> to, kind of sounds gross. Like I want yeah. to try it because I want to see if it tastes like other meat, but also I feel like a traitor by eating that and not, you know, like a real hamburger or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know how you feel about that. Um, and to even go along with that, um, I did see that the FDA is kind of struggling with food policy when Gottlieb's announcement um, for leaving his position because he really focused on those kind of yeah. food policy really well. So they might see a little bit of a setback after that. Yeah, that is true. I hadn't considered that, but definitely something to consider. Yes, definitely. Let's see. Well, I think another piece of news here I had, when we look at the farm economy, I talked a little bit yesterday about the ag economy barometer, which is put on by Purdue University. The USDA released latest farm economy forecasts and projected that for 2019, we will see income rise 10%. However, when you measure that compared to liquidity measures, we're showing a weakening farm debt-to-assets ratios, which has been kind of on an upward trend since 2012. So working capital levels are expected to fall almost 25% this year, while the farm sector debt is forecast to rise nearly 4%. So we're starting to see folks making more income and, and more, making more money on the farms. However, that capital expense and stuff that goes along with debt is increasing as well and showing not a net loss, but definitely not as high of profit levels. I saw that going on kind of in the news today. And um, that's just one of those things I feel like that it's another um, just kind of a downside with farming and especially now with yeah. kind of where the markets are today and um but i it's weird that income might be increasing but also debt is increasing right yeah so it's like your income is increasing but really you're not necessarily making that much more yeah. on a farm yeah you're not actually making as much money but right it'll be interesting to see how that kind of goes too yeah how that plays out hopefully mm -hmm. folks don't sell out of the business but Definitely something that's always a concern for rural America. Yes, definitely. And um, this is just kind of the last piece of news that I have at Delaney. Um, and it really caught my eye, especially after since Ash Wednesday was yesterday. And yes. us Catholics over here, we cannot eat meat on Fridays. So we kind of turn to fish. And um, an ocean conservation and ag advocacy organization called Oceana says that out one out of every five fish tested is mislabeled. Um, so this kind of goes back to the 
boat to plate seafood traceability. Um, and they're kind of trying to prevent this, um, to prevent more illegal fishing mm. or fraud. And I, when I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, because I was thinking back to all the fish I've eaten. Um, but so hopefully they can end up working that out. I have a question. Yeah, but this. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Cause I'm not Catholic. I'm Methodist and I know Catholics mm-hmm. give up meat for Lent and don't eat it on Fridays. Would you be able to eat cell cultured meat? I don't know. That's a good question. I think that's a question for the Pope. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Let's because... let's call him up. <laughs> we'll have him on the podcast yeah. for an interview. There you we know. go. <laughs> um, no, but I don't because what it it well if it would classify as meat, I've, it hmm. probably would. It's not technically coming from an animal, but if they cult, if they classify it as meat, which I think is still one of the questions for language that's coming out or that's like kind of the next step. I don't know. I just thought of that. I think, yeah, I think it'll definitely decide, be based on what they decide to call it, I guess. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I just kind of <laughs> thought of that. I've, yeah, I've never thought of that actually, but that's a good point. Just a thought. Listeners, if you have any uh, if you have any thoughts about that, that you'd like to share with us, find us on <laughs> Facebook or on Twitter. I'd, I'd be interested in hearing other people's thoughts about that. Yeah, definitely. Madison, that is, I think, a wrap of the news for today. Should we hop over and check out the commodity markets? Let's do that, Delaney. All right. And our commodity markets, of course, are sponsored by our good friends at the Zaner Group. You can give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking across the screen for today, quite a bit of weakness in the corn and wheat pits, but not so much in the soybean pits. The March contract down six and a half cents at 356, even the May down seven and a quarter at 365 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the March contract saw a little strength, adding a penny on the board at 890 and three quarters. The May up half a cent at 902 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the March contract lost nine cents on the day at four thirty-one and a half, while the May down eleven and three quarters to close at four thirty-eight and a quarter. Hopping over to look at the livestock markets, the live cattle contract in the green five cents to close at one twenty-eight ninety-five. The June up seventy-two and a half cents to close at one twenty thirty-five. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract not quite limit up on the day, but closed up two dollars and twenty-five cents to end at one forty-two ninety. The April up two thirty-five to close at one forty-six even. In the lean hog markets, the April contract up sixty-five cents to close at fifty-seven seventy-two. The May up fifty-seven and a half cents to close at sixty-six fifty-seven and a half. Breaking through that $66 window there. And, of course, the Class 3 Dairy Futures March contract down $0.10 cents on the day at $15.09. The April down 19 at $14.96. Of course, folks, the YZ report does come out tomorrow, so we'll have an update on those estimates as well, and I believe crop production as well. But for today's interview, going to be bringing you two shorter interview pieces here from my time at Commodity Classic with Eric Davidson from Sound Agriculture and Justin Heath with an update on Smart Ag. Well, as part of the Commodity Classic, there are a lot of booths and vendors talking about what's coming for the precision ag and agronomy industry. I'm catching up with Eric Davidson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sound Agriculture. Eric, excuse me, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, looking forward to it. 
So give me the 10,000 foot view. What is sound agriculture? Because as you look at the precision ag and agronomy field, it's very cluttered right now. There's a lot of names out there. What is sound agriculture representing? Yeah, so we're a life science company. So we focus on developing products that help uh, help crops thrive in the face of environmental stresses. So these are foliar applied products that either stimulate the plant or the soil microbiome um, to help create healthier, more productive plants. And when you say environmental stresses, are we talking about natural environmental stresses like drought and extreme heat, or are there other stresses you're referring to? Yeah, we kind of take a broad view of environmental stress. And so we got into this field thinking about plant water use and drought stress. Um, and we've moved into nutrient stress uh, that's a result of leaching or, um, you know, just helping growers manage their nutrient applications um, and heat, uh, cold. Um, we, we take a pretty broad view of environmental stresses. So to take a couple of steps back, how did Sound Agriculture come to be a company that's dealing with these types of issues for growers? Yeah, we uh, got started when my co-founder Travis Baer and I were thinking broadly about agriculture. Uh, And it was back in 2012, the Midwest was having a massive drought. Uh, Corn farmers were really being hit hard. Um, And we were thinking about how we would approach that space as scientists. Um, And so we got some early funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, and really started thinking about plant water use. And that's, that's how we really made our early discoveries in this space that got us started. So walk me then through some of the products or things that you're using, some of the applications for growers. Are they in combination with, for instance, a drought-tolerant seed variety? Are you working kind of hand-in-hand with some of those products out there that are already dealing with environmental stresses? Yeah, we look at our products as uh, we feel that they really need to be compatible with existing grower practices and overlaid on top of those. Um, so the water product, um, you know, it's it's small molecule chemistry that you apply foliarly, um, and it really acts almost as a plant growth regulator. Um, we've got another product that stimulates the soil microbiome in the root zone, and so the the soil microbiome that's naturally there is being encouraged to produce more plant available nutrition, uh, provide more nitrogen, and more uh, plant available phosphorus. For most of your products, is there a certain time or period in the growing cycle when it makes sense to apply these products? Yeah, we've done most of our work on corn so far, and so we really target either the post-emergence herbicide application window or a late-season sort of VT um, insecticide herbicide uh, application window. And so this gets back to our our goal is really to have products that are tank mix compatible with the existing practices and that really fit seamlessly into the grower's operation. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to provide a, a new set of tools that are easy to use uh, and robust um, to, to help the grower uh, get more productivity and efficiency. So you had this written on your website. I want to make sure I get it right. You said microbes provide to be unstable when added uh, to maybe adding new microbes. I think you maybe on your, on your website emphasized using current microbes or microbials in the soil can you explain that mindset a little bit more? Yeah, so we um, 
I think we're a little bit different than most products in the biologic space in that we're not microbes. We're not live microbes or an extract. Um, so we really take almost a drug discovery approach to our, our products. And so they tend to be small molecules that are specifically designed um, with, with a mode of action and with an end result in mind. Uh, and because, it, because they're not live microbes, we feel like that helps them be a little bit more compatible with other products in this space, whether it's you know, in the tank with a post-emergence herbicide or other. And so we're, we're not adding microbes, but there's a, a, a wide abundance of microbes already in the soil. And so one of our products, Source, is really aimed at helping those microbes be more effective and more productive in, that, in the root zone. And so this is a signal to the microbial community to fix more nitrogen and make it plant available and to liberate more phosphorus. And Source is the new product you're kind of announcing here at Commodity Classic 2019, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And we're really targeting uh, next year. This year we're doing a lot of grower engagement and uh, some trialings, trialing programs, which you can find on our website, um, and really targeting next year is having it uh, commercially available. When you look at environmental stresses or just um, issues coming down the pipeline for growers, obviously drought and extreme heat, those kind of extremes from one end to the other are things that impact growers a lot but are there other factors that you're watching as coming down the pipeline for needing to develop new products for? Yeah we take a, a broad look at plant architecture how plants grow and develop um, how how plants uh, use use photosynthesis to drive growth and productivity and so there are a lot of ways that are sort of outside uh, traditional pest control um, and that that crop protection product space where we think that there is a big opportunity to bring a new approach uh, and find find products that really do something different and um, just before I let you go Eric what's the best way for growers to get in touch with sound agriculture if they got more questions after uh, just listening to our interview today uh, you can definitely find us uh, through our website, uh, sound-ag.com, and we have a Twitter account as well, and uh, a lot of ways you can find us online and, and, and get our attention. We, we're pretty responsive, and we love talking to growers. Absolutely. Well, we love that you were willing to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's been quite a while since we've caught up with Smart Ag. Uh, Colin Hurd, founder of Smart Ag, is who we've talked to before on the podcast. Today I'm catching up with Justin Heath, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Smart Ag. Justin, thanks so much for sharing updates today about Smart Ag. Absolutely. Uh, happy to be here and, and looking forward to uh, Commodity Classic 2019. Absolutely. So Commodity Classic is a, a exciting time. What is the message that you're sending to growers at this year's 2019 Commodity Classic? Yeah, we think this is a great opportunity um, to capitalize on some of our strategic initiatives for this year. Really, we're expanding our presence, um, particularly in the U.S., across the U.S., uh, in an effort to really um, introduce some rigorous testing to our, our system, uh, kind of put it through the final test before we commercialize here in early 2020. And so we're, we're looking for a few good producers to help us in that effort. Looking for producers to implement the, uh, the driverless grain cart on their operation? Yeah, that's right. Uh, implement the driverless grain cart uh, on their operation, but also be a real strong partner with Smart Ag in our testing effort. Uh, have open communication, provide as much feedback as possible, um, run the system on as many acres and for as many hours as they possibly can, and and really prove out the um, the quality and the safety of the of the technology before we before we launch commercially here. Yeah. So commercial launch in 2020. That's maybe the outer facing. Um, news that's going on. What's happening behind the scenes at Smart Ag? Yeah, behind the scenes, we've got a lot going on. We're really uh, 
scaling as a company, both internally and externally. We've, we've. Um, I think the last time you talked to us, we probably had four or five employees. We're now, uh, I think we just hired our 26th. Um, building out our engineering uh, team and the expertise expertise within that team. Um, also building out uh, the next layer of leadership within the company. We've added um, a lot of veteran experience in our field staff, um, put some business directors in place to establish our commercialization efforts east and west in North America. Uh, so really growing the team, uh, also growing our dealer network, bringing on some of the highest quality distribution we can find, and um, working to kind of set the stage not only for advanced testing this year, and but moving into 2020 here. So, When you say advanced text, testing, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's really taking, so we, we had some strong testing efforts in 2018, and, and we've taken that feedback and in, in our key learnings, and we've started to iterate on the product, um, redesign some components, and introduce some even new technology that's been, that's been brought to market since fall of 2018 um, to, to really make sure that we've got the highest quality, safest product on the market. Um, and so really what we're talking about is um, testing the final production version of AutoCart and making sure that we've got the grower sign off and, and check the final box before we bring it to market. That's really exciting. I'm sure a lot of folks are chomping at the bit to get this auto cart into their operation. Um, when you look at the dealer network, what is that going to entail? Are people going to individually sell this product on your behalf, like a seed salesman type of thing, or is it more of a network to connect with growers? Yeah, it's a it's a broad mix of um, business types and makeups, but it is a network to connect, connect with growers. Um, we've been really fortunate to partner with a couple, um, you know, very influential John Deere dealers, uh, as our current platform only operates on the John Deere 8000 R-Series tractor, um, and, and they've been extremely um, strong partners in terms of connecting us with, with growers. But we're also um, really aggressively pursuing those independent precision ag uh, and ag tech distributors um, that have a presence in this space and have had for some time. So it's a mix of, um, of, of business types and makeups, but it's really... Um, those those dealers and distributors that are on the cutting edge, they want to embrace new new technology, and more specifically, they're really looking at autonomous technology and ag as a way to pivot their business model and bring new opportunities into the business. So, um, we've partnered with those folks. We've we've started to establish some really strong distribution distribution throughout North America and have some opportunities to to do that globally as well. And I've got to ask, you are in John Deere. You are compatible with John Deere platforms right now. I'm sure there's other growers that uh, run red tractors or yellow tractors or blue tractors. When is that going to be available, or are you looking at the next steps of how to get that auto cart system implemented into those types of machinery as well? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a, a couple projects underway to, to expand our platform presence. Can't really talk about them right now, but certainly look forward to announcing those efforts here probably later on this year um, to get on some different color machinery. Um, but also, uh, we're starting to look at new applications uh, beyond just grain cart uh, technology. So we'll be exploring our next application on on the uh, uh, Smart Ag platform, our software platform. Uh, things like tillage, planting. How do we fully automate um, that process? And who are the right folks to be working with in the ag tech space to to bring that technology to life beyond just grain cart technology? That's really exciting. Is can you give us a timeline of maybe when we can start to see some of those other applications come out to the marketplace? Sure, absolutely. You know, we're we're uh, very intensely focused on on uh, you know perfecting AutoCart and getting it into the marketplace, but we're uh, already starting the discovery process for the next applications. Um, very very likely, like I said, a tillage or a planting type of application. 
Um, we would expect to probably start beta testing um, one of those applications probably as early as next spring. So right on the heels of the launch of AutoCart, we'll start to uh, introduce some testing, uh, alpha and beta testing opportunities um, in, in the next platform, whatever that might be. That's really exciting. Justin, before I let you go, if growers are listening in, think maybe I'm a good fit for um, the, the rest of the testing that you're rolling out this year. How can they get in touch with Smart Ag folks? Yeah, you can always email us at uh, info at smart-ag.com, and certainly uh, feel free to visit our website, www.smart-ag.com, to learn more about our product, our company, and how you can, how you can contact us. Awesome. Justin, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it as well. Well, usually, Madison, we save stuff like that for our Tech Tuesday interviews, but I thought it was really interesting. As I mentioned, I think on the podcast before, I spent a lot of my time at Commodity Classic chatting more with ag tech companies because when you look across the industry right now, that is just the hot button thing that people want to get involved with. Yes, definitely. And it's always nice to hear kind of updates with what their companies are doing. Absolutely. It's exciting. Yes, definitely. Well, we have lots going on. At the Global Ag Network website, as I mentioned earlier, we've got new podcasts coming out from other providers besides Ag News Daily, so be sure and check those out at the global ag, www.globalagnetwork.com. Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.